Welcome to the Kindred Church Podcast, where we talk about God, faith, and real life. This is Daniel Childs. I'm the host of the podcast and the pastor of Kindred Church. To learn more about how to connect with our community, check out our website at www.kindrednc.church. You can also follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. We're glad you've tuned in for today's episode. Now, let's talk about God. Well, I wonder if you can think of a time when you probably should have spoken up because you saw something that wasn't right and you knew it wasn't right, but in that moment, the cost of speaking up just felt too high or it felt too uncomfortable and and so instead you decided to just stay quiet. I'm sure many of us have had that experience at some point. It could be when you're gathered with some extended family and a cousin makes a racist remark. It could be in the office you overhear a coworker make a derogatory comment about women or some other social group. It could be that you have friends who have a bad habit of gossiping about people behind their backs. It could be any of these kind of situations that that pulls at our conscience. And we know that we should say something, uh, and maybe you're the kind of person who, who always does say something in those moments, but I think for many of us, sometimes we can start thinking in terms of a, a cost-benefit analysis. And we can start to think, okay, well, if I confront that cousin about his racist remark, uh, that could lead to like family drama and conflict, and you know, we gotta see these people every single holiday. Maybe I'll just bite my tongue and, and ignore it. Or maybe that colleague at work who made the derogatory comment, uh, maybe he's one of our supervisors and we feel like, man, if that confrontation doesn't go well, that could have negative implications for our whole career. That feels like a a big risk. Or we think, you know, if I confront my, my friends about their habit of gossiping, maybe they'll turn on me and maybe they won't be my friends anymore. I'm sure many of us can think of a time when we saw something that wasn't right and we should have said something but we did that kind of cost-benefit analysis and we felt like the cost of saying something was just too high, so we stayed quiet instead. And oftentimes in the aftermath of an experience like that, we're left with a sense of regret and in some cases a sense of guilt because we didn't speak up. Now, I wish that I had some amazing pastoral insight that would make it easy for us to speak up the next time we're in one of those situations. I wish I could tell you, hey, just don't worry about the the consequences. Just say what needs to be said. But in some cases, it's not that simple. You know, in some cases, the consequences could be quite worrisome. I I wish that I, I could tell you, you know, just speak up and things will always work out for the best. But sometimes it's not that straightforward, is it? There are certainly situations where we need to be very thoughtful about when and where and how we choose to speak up. So I think it's kind of unavoidable that in those type of situations, we're going to feel some tension and we're going to feel some discomfort as we're figuring out the best way to respond. But having said that, having said that, and what I want us to talk about today is that Jesus actually gives us some super helpful guidance about when to speak up and about how to speak up. As we'll see in a minute, uh, this is something that Jesus applied to himself in his own life. And if we follow his example, it's going to help us to find clarity about what to say in those moments and, and how to say it. And it's also going to give us the courage to step up and actually do the right 
thing. Uh, if you're not a follower of Jesus or you're not sure about the whole Jesus thing, I actually think this could be very helpful for you as well. Uh, but for those of us who are committed followers of Jesus, this is not just helpful guidance, but it's actually really important as we're going to see. It's really important for the way that we live out our mission in the world. So we'll dig into that further in just a, a second. But to catch you up, if you haven't been with us here recently, we're now in week three of our sermon series that is all about courage. We've been talking about how courage is a vital ingredient for a meaningful life, and we've talked about how courage is especially important for the Christian life, because if we're not willing to step up and do some things that are hard, if we're not willing to step outside of our comfort zones, then we're going to struggle to follow Jesus in a, a way that makes a difference in our life and, and in the world around us. So it's, it's very important that we cultivate courage in our lives. And throughout this sermon series, we're looking at six different dimensions of courage. And for each one, we're looking at how does Jesus model this for us? And we're thinking about uh, what's the difference that this dimension of courage makes in our lives and in our world as well. Uh, today, today, we're looking specifically at candor. We're looking at the courage of candor. And as you may know, uh, candor is when our words are open and honest. When we say what we mean and we mean what we say, that is candor. And in those moments when we know something is not right, uh, candor means finding the right way to speak up about it. And obviously, uh, a lot of times it, it takes a good bit of courage to, to have that kind of candor. So as we're thinking about candor today, I want us to look at how Jesus models this for us. And I want us to see uh, why this is so helpful, but, but also why it's so important. So let's check out this story uh, from Luke chapter 7 that Minoka read to us just uh, a minute ago. Now this story was written down by a guy named Luke. Uh, the book that he wrote is, is named after him. He's the, the author. And Luke was a doctor. Some of you know this, but he was a, a well-educated guy. And Luke himself, he was not an eyewitness of Jesus's life. He was not there for, for these events that he reports to us. But he did go around and interview people who were there. He did go around and get these stories from the eyewitnesses who are there. And as he tells us this story that we're about to talk about here in, in chapter 7, I think Luke gives us a little hint about who in the story is the one that later told him the story that, that he's now telling to us. I can't prove it, uh, but I have a theory about who told this story to Luke. As we're unpacking this, you can see what you think, and I'll tell you my theory in just uh, a minute. Well, when the story begins here, Jesus has recently arrived in some town. We're not exactly sure where, but it's, it's somewhere in the region of Galilee. And, and here's what Luke tells us. He says, one of the Pharisees, one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to eat with him. After Jesus entered the Pharisee's home, he took his place at the table. So Jesus has been invited to a dinner party by this local guy. And we're told that the host of this party who invited Jesus, he is a Pharisee, a Pharisee. Now, quick background on the, the Pharisees just to help us make sense of this story. And this is a, a bit of an over, oversimplification, but for our purposes today, here's the, the quick and dirty on the Pharisees. The Pharisees were a religious group within Judaism at this time, and they advocated a, a very strict 
uh, interpretation of the Jewish law. They advocated a, a very strict adherence to the Jewish law. The, the Jewish law is a part of what Christians now call the Old Testament. And the Pharisees advocated strict adherence to the law because they believed that that was God's will. They figured, hey, if God went to the trouble of, of giving us these laws and, and rules to live by, then God's deepest desire for us must be for us to follow these laws and, and rules. And they further reasoned that when people follow these rules that were given by God, then they have God's favor. But when people are not following these rules, then they are out of favor with God. Now, according to the Pharisees, uh, if you were a person who consistently broke the rules, or if you were a person who lived your life in such a way that you ignored the rules, um, or if you just made enough mistakes that it seemed like you were ignoring the rules, then the Pharisees had a, a name for you, and that name was Sinner. Sinner. They did not associate themselves with sinners. Now, if you press them on it, some of the Pharisees would probably have conceded that, well, yeah, technically we're all sinners because nobody's perfect at, at keeping God's rules all the time. But they would say, yeah, but some people are like really, really sinners because they're not even trying, or at least it seems like they're not even trying. Again, that's a, a bit of an oversimplification, but generally speaking, that's the mentality of the Pharisees. Well, again, the guy who invites Jesus over for a dinner party at the beginning of this story, we're told that he is a Pharisee. I guess he figured that by having Jesus, this rabbi, this religious teacher over for dinner, it's going to spark some interesting theological discussion, and little does he know. Uh, well, Jesus comes into the house, probably shakes a few hands, makes some chit-chat, maybe he enjoys a pre-dinner cocktail, uh, who knows, but then something happens that is really, and I mean really, really weird. Really weird. Uh, dinner's about to be served, and all of the guests start to take their place uh, around the table. So far, so good. But then Luke says this. He says, meanwhile, meaning as the guests are sitting around the table, meanwhile, a woman from the city, a sinner, uh-oh, a sinner, she discovered that Jesus was dining in the Pharisee's house. And she brought perfumed oil in a vase made of alabaster. All right, so suddenly this random woman shows up at this dinner party uninvited, uninvited. And not only is she a random woman who is uninvited, but this is a woman who had been labeled a sinner, a.k.a. Uh, the, the host of this party and all the other Pharisees who were at this party, they wouldn't have wanted to be caught dead socializing with this woman. And yet she rolls in anyway, and she's holding a jug of oil. This is already weird, but it's about to get way, way weirder. In fact, when I read this next verse, you're probably going to think to yourself, well, maybe that was somehow more normal back then. Maybe somehow the culture was different and, and this wouldn't have been quite as weird. And I promise you, this would have been exactly as awkward then as it would be today. Uh, well, Luke says, standing behind Jesus at his feet. He's talking about this woman. And just so you can visualize what's going on here. So in this culture at this time, when they were eating meals together, uh, they didn't sit at a table in, in chairs like we do in, in our culture, uh, but they would kind of recline on their side. So the table would be low to the ground. They'd have some kind of a cushion that they would lean on. And so they sort of lean on their elbow as they would eat. So their feet were kind of out away from the the table. So anyway, that's what's going on here. So Luke says, uh, standing behind Jesus at his feet 
and crying, this woman is crying, she begins to wet his feet with her tears. So you I mean, just try to picture this. Like I guess she's bending over uh, and she's letting her tears fall on Jesus's feet. And we're just getting started with the weirdness. It gets weirder. Uh, then she takes her hair and she starts wiping Jesus's feet with her hair. And then after that, we're told she starts kissing Jesus's feet. And after she's done kissing Jesus's feet, then she pops the cork on that jug of oil that she brought with her, and she starts pouring that oil all over Jesus's feet. Well, you can imagine how you would react if you were at a dinner party and somebody started doing that. I'm guessing some people watched in horrified silence. I'm sure other people were suppressing that like nervous, uncontrollable laughter. Everyone is thinking like, what in the heck is going on here? Now, in their shock and, and in their discomfort about all of this, uh, all of those folks miss what this woman is doing and, and the meaning of it. Uh, in the Old Testament book of Isaiah, there's this passage that talks about the Messiah, that this coming Savior. And the, the uh, passage says this, it says, How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet. How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of a messenger who proclaims peace, who brings good news, who proclaims salvation, who says to Zion, your God Rules. So what this woman is doing to Jesus uh, is, is an act of worship. Uh, this is her way of acknowledging that Jesus is the Messiah, the Savior that Isaiah had been referring to, that Jesus is the Son of God. But that said, that said, this is still objectively a pretty weird thing to do, and nobody understands why she's doing it. And in fact, everybody at this party is judging this woman, and they're judging her big time. And, and they're judging Jesus because he's the only one in the room who's not judging this woman. Luke says that uh, when the Pharisee who had invited Jesus saw what was happening, he said to himself, if this man, talking about Jesus, if this man were a prophet, he would know what kind of woman is touching him. He would know that she is a sinner, that she is a sinner. Now, I want us to pause right there and I want us to, to put ourselves in Jesus's shoes. Well, obviously Jesus wasn't wearing shoes in this story, but, uh, but let's think about what this means for Jesus. All of this puts Jesus right in the middle of one of those really tough situations. Because think about it, Jesus could speak up here. Uh, he could confront all of these other people about their harsh judgment of this woman. Uh, he could side with this woman against everybody else. But to do that, he would have to confront the very guy who invited him to this party in the first place. He would have to confront the, the guy whose house he was sitting in eating dinner. That would have been uncomfortable, to say the least. Uh, if Jesus speaks up, he would potentially offend all of these other guests who were there, and they were probably some, some very powerful people. Uh, at the very least, if he sides with this woman, all these folks are going to laugh Jesus out of the room. They're going to write him off as some unholy one be prophet. And Jesus has human emotions just like you and me. I'm sure Jesus feels the tension in this moment. So what does Jesus do? Does he speak up 
or does he just stay quiet? Well, in this moment, what we see Jesus do is he frames this situation as a chance to live into his mission. And his mission, Jesus came into this world to literally embody God's love, right? To reveal to us once and for all what the love of God looks like. And Jesus does that in tons of different ways throughout his life, of course. But one of the most important ways that Jesus embodies God's love is through his words and through his speech and through the things that he says. In fact, uh, one of Jesus's disciples whose name was John, John actually calls Jesus the word of God. John calls Jesus the word made flesh because it was such a huge part of Jesus's mission to embody God's love with his words. And here in this super awkward, super uncomfortable situation, Jesus takes the opportunity to do just that. Jesus does choose to speak up here. And in the conversation that unfolds, Jesus uses his words very carefully to embody God's love, not only in what he says, but also in how he says it. And Jesus uses his words to embody God's love, not just for this woman who he's, he's sticking up for, but at the very same time, he embodies God's love for every single other person who's in that room as well. Uh, Jesus addresses the host of the party, this, this Pharisee, and we find out that his name is Simon. And Jesus speaks firmly to Simon, but also gently. And Jesus doesn't berate Simon for being judgmental. Jesus doesn't return Simon's judgment with, with more judgment. But instead, uh, Jesus lifts up a parable. He creates this teaching moment. And through this parable, Jesus gently teaches Simon that he could actually learn something from this woman, that this woman has an understanding of God's love. This woman has an understanding of God's mercy and God's grace that Simon doesn't have. Uh, and Jesus leads Simon to see that God never cares about laws and rules more than God cares about the people that those laws and rules are meant to help. That's such a, an important lesson, and I wish we could spend more time on it today, but, but let me just say that uh, again. God never cares about laws and rules more than God cares about the people that those laws and rules are meant to to help. And as a result of learning that lesson, Simon is then freed from being so harsh, from, from being so judgmental towards people that he considers to be sinners. So in that way, in that way, Jesus uses this moment to embody God's love with his words. And by speaking up with courage, Jesus is able to turn this awkward, uncomfortable, tense moment into this beautiful, transformational moment. And the way Luke tells us the, the story, I think that it was actually Simon himself. Uh, I think he's the one who later told this story to Luke. And if I'm right about that, then that tells us that this encounter with Jesus, that this conversation with Jesus, this changed Simon in a lasting way. That even though he had judged this woman for the way that she was worshiping Jesus, that after Simon experienced God's love here through the words of Jesus, ultimately he began to worship Jesus as well. 
Now, for those of us who are followers of Jesus uh, ourselves, here's what I think this means for us. Now, you and I, we are obviously not Jesus, right? Um, But like Jesus and following Jesus, we're also called to embody God's love with our words. We're also called to embody God's love with our words. And so when we're in one of those moments where we're trying to figure out if we should speak up and how we should speak up, it helps for us to do exactly what we see Jesus doing here in this story. We can frame that moment as a chance to live into our mission. We can ask ourselves the question, what would it look like for me to embody God's love with my words in this situation? What would it look like for me to embody God's love with my words in this situation? That includes God's love for the person that I'm standing up for, like the woman in this story, but it also includes God's love for the person that I'm confronting, like Simon in this story. And when we frame it that way, in terms of our mission, oftentimes that will help us to find clarity about what we need to say and about how we need to say it. And oftentimes it gives us the courage to to actually step up and speak up. Not long ago, I got a call from a member of our kindred community. Many of you would know who she was. I'm not going to tell you who she is, though. Um, But she was driving home from work, and she called me because she had just had this this very troubling experience. Uh, Not long before she called, she was in the office with a number of her colleagues, including one of her supervisors. And the supervisor was having a conversation with another employee. And as they were talking, they were just casually throwing around a racial slur. Uh, her supervisor said this word multiple times. And, and our fellow kindred member, she, she called me on the way home and she told me like, oh, Daniel, I, I feel so bad. Uh, I, I want to, to say something about this. This needs to be addressed. But she said, you know, honestly, I mean, this is like an important person. This is one of my supervisors. And so I'm, I'm nervous to have a, a confrontation about this. Well, she and I talked about it, and and we talked about what to do, and we talked about this idea of embodying God's love with our words. And after we talked about it, uh, she she prayed about it, and ultimately she decided to to craft a letter to send to her supervisor to address what had happened. And I was privileged that she shared a copy of the letter with me uh, so that I could read it. And I wish, I wish that we had enough time for me to share this whole letter with you, because it was so well done. Uh, As I read over it, she sounded so much like Jesus speaking to Simon in this story. She was firm, but she was also gentle and non-combative. She stood up strongly and clearly for what was right, and yet throughout the letter, it was unmistakable that she was still conveying the love of God for the the supervisor that she was confronting the, the whole time that she was addressing what was wrong. It was so well done. It was one of those proud pastor moments, not that I could take much, much credit for it. Um, and we don't yet know what effect that letter will ultimately have on her supervisor. We may never know, but I know that when I read the letter, it was moving to me, and I bet that it was moving to her supervisor as well. And maybe, just maybe, kind of like Simon in this story, maybe it created a change in her heart, or, or at least maybe it will create a change in her future behavior. Our fellow kindred member was able to take this this tense, uh, wrong, uncomfortable situation, and she was able to bring something transformational out of it because, because a lot like Jesus, 
She approached this as a chance to embody God's love with her words. So the next time we're in a situation like that and we feel that tension of, uh, should I say something and how should I say it and, and what should I say? Let's focus on embodying God's love with our words. Let's lean into that mission with courage because whatever the outcome is going to be, embodying God's love with our, our words, that, that is always going to be the right thing to do. And it might, it might just change someone's heart forever. Let me pray for us. Oh, gracious and loving God, uh, speaking God, uh, we are so thankful that you use your words to embody your love. God, we thank you for the example that you've set in the person of Jesus and the way that Jesus embodied your love with his words so that we could know you, so that we could know your love for us, so that we could know your, your deep, deep love for this world. Um, God, as we seek to be faithful followers of you, we ask for the courage to, to speak up in those moments when we need to, to speak up. And as we do that, God, uh, help us to do so in a way that reflects your love, like, like Jesus was able to do in this difficult uh, situation that we read about in this story. Uh, God, we thank you for the courage that can only come from you. We thank you for calling us out of the ordinary into the extraordinary to be people who speak up and speak out so that we can make this world a better place, a place more like the world that you want for us, God. So we pray all of this in the name of the Savior that we're following. Amen. Meaningful to you? Consider sharing it with a friend who might also enjoy it. Uh, be sure to subscribe to the podcast here and give us a rating that helps us connect with more listeners. This free resource and all of Kindred's ministries are supported by the generosity of people like you. Your giving changes lives, and it helps us to share and embody God's love. If you'd like to make a donation, you can do so on our website at www.kindrednc.church. Just select Give. You can find lots of ways to connect with our community on our website as well as on our social media pages. Thanks again for listening, and we will catch you next time.